heading off to college for the very first time. It's pretty scary, but mostly just excited. I was 18 years old. I have four little brothers, and one of them, my brother John, about 10 years older than I, uh, helped me move to college. He had gone to Indiana University, and he helped me get moved into my dorm. And uh, back in the day, loaded up everything that we needed for the entire dorm room to move in in one trip from his car. Yes, we did. And I moved into McNutt Quad. He took me to Mother Bear's Pizza, which was nearby the dorm, and he said, Quentin, I've got some advice for you. Here's how to do well in college. Four things. Go to class, take notes, read the material, and study before the exam. You'll be fine. And guess what? It's pretty simple advice. It worked. I lived at a place called McNutt Quad, and it lived up to its name. Uh, a popular magazine had uh, listed McNutt at Indiana University as the number one party dorm in the United States. Quote, hands down, this is the party dorm your parents don't want you to live in. That's where I lived my freshman year of college. By the way, if you're thinking about attending Indiana University and going, uh, living in McNutt, they tore it down just a couple of years ago. That summer, before heading to Indiana and moving into McNutt, I'd had a spiritual awakening. I'd been raised in church, but I had come into a really personal relationship with Christ, and my faith had become real to me. And I wanted to be led by the light of Christ. I wanted to live in the light, but I also wanted to light my world. I wanted to be a spiritual influence on other people, and God had placed me in the most remarkable place on earth to do so. Fast forward a couple years, I'd survived McNutt somehow. I had made some friendships along the way. And I really still wanted to light my world. 20 years old, I got involved in a church. I got involved in a Christian community. And I'm starting to learn a little bit more about the Bible and about my faith. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm just a 20-year-old college student getting started. But I really wanted to shine my light. I found myself sitting in a very large lecture hall for an ancient history class with this professor. His name's Rufus Fierce, Dr. Rufus Fierce. And people loved him. He was extremely powerful. And he said that day in the class, uh, he wanted to goad his students onto greatness. He wanted them to make a difference in the world. He wanted us to stand up for something. I didn't exactly know where he was coming from at the time. But he asked a question. He goes, I wonder if there's even one student here today who believes that what they believe is the truth. Is there even one of you who's willing to say, I believe the truth? And I sat there thinking to myself, well, maybe that's a rhetorical question. And I looked around and nobody was moving. And the the moment passed, and he said, just as I thought, nothing but wimps. I went home that day to my dorm. I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, I wanted to live as light. I wanted to light your world. And I had an opportunity in front of 500 of my peers to just say, I believe in Jesus. 
I believe he's the light of the world. I could have said he's the way, the truth, and the life, but I said nothing. And I'm sorry, Lord. And Lord, if you ever give me that opportunity, I will not fail you. I want to light my world. We'll get back to that story a little bit later. But I want to talk to you today about that very thing. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you feel like sometimes as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower, that you'd love to light your world, but you find you, you find, kind of fall short, or you're not sure how, or you're scared, or you blew it, or whatever. You want to have Jesus light your own life first to guide you and transform you, and you want to make a difference in this world. You want to light your world. You want to love your neighbors. You want to love our community, love you, Des Moines. Maybe today, after a year and a half of all the weariness in our culture, you need a recharge, and you want to see your life make a difference in our world. Are you waiting to see God transform you for a brand new purpose and direction? You don't have to wait any longer. Because in the passage of scripture we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 17, you're going to discover it's time to stop being ordinary and to start shining as light. So turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 17, this incredible record of the early church, and we're going to learn together how to live as light and how you can light your world. Let me give you a little bit of the background in this book of Acts. They're, they're taking the good news to all sorts of places. The apostle Paul and his team, Silas and Timothy, are on their way and they've made their way uh, across the uh, Asia and they've entered into what is Greece or Macedonia. And you, you know the stories we covered the last few weeks. He was thrown into to jail in, in Philippi. Uh, he, he faced riots in Thessalonica. He's chased out of Berea, has to leave town, and he gets on a ship and he makes his way as far as Athens, the great city of Athens. And Paul's shining in his light, but it's been a rough go. And then he arrives at this incredible city. And verse 16 begins our passage today in Acts 17, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Guys, some of the most extraordinary moments in my life and in your life are going to be in the ordinary situations. We're just waiting around. It's not the highlight reels. It's just like that moment. You, it's not a big moment. You're, you're, you're in a mall. You're, you're folding clothes. You're, you're, you're shopping, whatever. But there, God puts you in a spot, and something extraordinary can happen. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... And what we're going to discover is while he was waiting around, he stepped into an opportunity to be light in one of the most extraordinary places. And next weekend, we'll hear him give one of the most amazing messages, sermons in the history of the church. He wasn't planning on it. It just was there for him. And he seized the moment. So he's in Athens. And I want to tell you a little bit about Athens it was a truly great city in the ancient world, still is. One of the greatest cities of the ancient world. This was named after Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom. It was a big city for its day. It had about 100,000 people 2,000 years ago. It's a city today of four to five million people. It's amazing today. But 2,000 years ago, it was absolutely stunning, spectacular, and glorious. 
And there were, that's where the beautiful people lived. That was the cultural spot. And a lot of amazing people and thinkers and cultural trendsetters lived in Athens. So you can go there and be amazed 2,000 years ago and today about everything in Athens. But Paul was waiting there for his friends Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy to join him. But that wasn't his reaction. Actually, had a very different reaction. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed. A seizure of his soul, someone has said, when he saw that the city was full of idols. Looking around, he saw past some of the amazing art and architecture and, and, and statues everywhere. And he saw a reality of a spiritual emptiness, of people longing for meaning and fulfillment and desire and pleasure and all these sorts of things, but they were looking for idols, things made of wood and stone that did not in reality, that exist in reality, but they were believing that they were real. And he wasn't impressed by them. Instead, he was distressed. It bothered him. He was upset. It was a mixture of feelings and emotions of, of upset that Jesus was not honored at all, that God wasn't getting any glory whatsoever, but also sees that so many people have been led astray into darkness. They've been led astray to believe that other things beyond God could give them the lasting fulfillment that they so desired. Athens in those days was swamped with idols. What is an idol? An idol is a God substitute. And back in the days, it was said, 2,000 years ago, it was easier to find a God than a man in Athens. And that was almost literally true. There were 100,000 people in Athens, but there were 30,000 public statues, idols. 30,000 in Athens alone. And they had filled up their lives with all sorts of God substitutes. That's what an idol is. Looking for the deepest longing of the human heart because then and now people want to know the eternal. They want to know God, but they're looking for it in all sorts of uh, wrong places and different places. Some of them good things, but they've been elevated to the position of God. Today, we usually have more sophisticated idols. Sometimes idols can be an ideology. Sometimes idols are pleasure or pride or job or career or even good things, family, friends. An idol is something that you place above God to give what you look for for the deepest meaning and fulfillment of your life. It might be a career. It might be a, a, an achievement. It might be a relationship. Whatever it is, good things. But when those become the primary focus for meaning and fulfillment and purpose and joy, it becomes a God substitute. It becomes an idol. And the longer Paul that waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the more amped up, upset, troubled his soul became for all these idols. The city was a junkyard of idols. This is the kind of person who changes things. This is the kind of person who can make a difference. I'm going to give you some principles just as we get started here in this passage. If you're going to, and I'm going to light my world, first thing we're going to have to do is become less a tourist and more a missionary. 
Uh, what I mean by that is we can enter into our culture and see amazing stuff and get swamped up with amazing stuff and we pursue and the things that our culture value is important and say that's going to be the, my number one goal in life. And we become more tourist or just enjoying the culture or embracing completely without thought and the things around us can become idols to us and they certainly can become idols to other people who, who don't know Jesus or are far from God. So what tourists do simply are they enjoy the best of culture. Tourists keep mostly to ourselves. You know, we're not m m really uh, meeting lots of other people. We're just seeing all the things. And thirdly, tourists complain about the stuff we don't like. Don't like the food. Don't like this about this. Don't like this about this. That's what tourists do. And if we're not careful, that's what we do. We enjoy what we like. We keep mostly to ourselves and away from other people in our culture that don't share our values. And we complain about the stuff we don't like in our culture. That's a tourist. A mission mindset, I mean a good missionary, not one that's weird or, you know, colonial or anything like this, but a, a person who truly comes to serve and love the people. A good missionary affirms the good in the culture but sees the realities of spiritual darkness and emptiness. A good missionary mixes with the locals and builds friendships and relationships. And a good missionary shines their light as much as they possibly can. They recognize the opportunity is before us. Let's keep going. Here's the second principle, just from already. You want to light your world? Identify the God substitutes. First in my own life, is there anything I'm placing over God? John the apostle says to believers, little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's so easy for us to slip into things and, and to look for something other than God to deliver us our deepest meaning and fulfillment. God substitutes are common. An idol is anything that is the primary way of finding meaning and fulfillment. Anything becomes more important to us than God. And you begin to identify what is it that people are looking to, to finding their fulfillment other than Jesus Christ, other than God, other than the eternal God who loved them, who gave his son for them. What are the God substitutes in our own culture? What is the God substitute of that of that person that you know and you love, that one life that you really would love to see cross the line of faith. And you're identifying the God, God substitutes not to judge them, but to love them, to help them. Not to lecture them, but to identify the struggle of their own souls with a God substitute. To embrace the people, but offer an alternative this brings us to principle number three. Pray for a compassionate discontent. Paul was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. When you see the things around you, the people around you that maybe are caught up in other things, and maybe really wonderful people in many ways, but they, they're far from God. Do you have what what the Apostle Paul had. Do you have that compassionate discontent? It is simply not okay for these people not to know the God who loves them. It is simply not okay for them to miss out on the joy and the blessings that could be theirs in a relationship with God. There's a discontent. There's deeply distress. But it's not one that's, well, that's like lashing out at them. It's a compassionate discontent. Uh, it, it, it's like, I, I care about these folks. And I have hope to offer because I know Jesus. Question for you, for me. 
when was the last time I was deeply distressed about something? And it wasn't about me. And it wasn't getting angry. He was deeply distressed about the people in our community that are looking and longing for fulfillment. But they don't know anything about the God of heaven who sent his one and only son to die for them. Or if they do, they're far from it. It's not important to them. Can you ask God, can you pray to God for a deep spirit of discontentment, not in a judgmental way, but in the most loving, amazing way that you long for them and you pray for them and for yourself to be the best possible light you can be. But I think the response of the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to pray, we need to pray for a compassionate discontent. Who is that one life? And can you pray for that compassionate discontent to offer hope to people whose lives might be filled with all sorts of God's substitutes. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. I love this because it says he reasoned, that is he interacted with them, he dialogued is literally what the word says. He had these conversations with people. I'm sure that it was sometimes just about ordinary life, but he dove into spiritual conversations eventually. And he struck up these conversations with lots of different people. You see here, he's with, in the synagogue with the Jews. He mixes with people who worship God, so they have some interest in the one true God of, of Israel. And then just in the marketplace, he goes to the mall. And he's an outsider, and he's just waiting for Timothy and Silas. And so he strikes up some conversations. If you're going to light your world, if I'm going to light my world, we need to interact widely and wisely. We need to befriend people who are not Christians. We need to befriend people who are far from God. We need to befriend people who are very, very different than we are, widely. And we also need to interact wisely. That is, we need to be careful that we don't compromise our own faith and convictions. Uh, as one person has said, uh, embrace the people and then offer alternatives. Have a good spiritual conversation filled with re respect. And then it says in verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. So there were some philosophers, and Athens was famous for that, and they were two different camps, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. We'll talk more about both of those next weekend and kind of what they believed. But if you just want the very short definition, kind of, you know, uh, just kind of ordinary everyday uh, uh, definition. And what's an Epicurean philosopher? It's, it's kind of, uh, don't worry, be happy. You know, life's hard and difficult, but, you know, kind of enjoy life. Don't think about it too much and embrace the reality that you have and be happy. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, okay? The Stoic philosophers were kind of very different. They were like, life is hard, tough it out. Uh, I, I can remember, uh, you know, a coach telling me or, or my dad telling me, you know, I, I, I got hurt on, on, on the baseball field or on the basketball court. And coach says, walk it off. That's a stoic. You have pain, just walk it off. Just walk it off. So that, that was kind of their attitude. Stiff upper lip. Endure pain and hardship. Toughen up. Christianity offers very different perspective from these two. 
Here's a principle I'm learning. If we're going to be light, we have to engage with other worldviews. He interacted with them. He had conversations. And sometimes there was some give and take and, and spirited uh, uh, debate even. But it was friend, friendly. It was, it, was, uh, it was polite. But it was back and forth. Now, when I say engage with other worldviews, it doesn't mean you need to become an expert on all these other philosophies. But we listen to people. We learn what they believe and why they feel the way that they do. Paul understood these philosophies. He was very well educated. And he, inter he interacted with people from different perspectives. And, and we're not going to live as light if we just keep to ourselves and don't interact with worldviews that are really, really far and different from where we are. Embrace the person and offer alternatives. Um, keep going. Some said of, of the Apostle Paul, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, who is this ignorant show-off? What, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? So they insulted him. Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They may actually have misunderstood what the Apostle Paul was telling them when he talked about Jesus. They hadn't heard that name before, ever of the Messiah. They didn't know the story. This is news to them. He's got a new slant. Some foreign God, he's talking about Jesus. And then the resurrection. They didn't know what to think of that. And in fact, it's very possible that they, they thought he was talking about a goddess. Because the word resurrection in the original language of Greek, which they were obviously familiar with, uh, is Anastasia. So they may have thought he was talking about a God, Jesus, and a goddess, Anastasia. Resurrection. So they were con confused about this. And they're like, he seems to be advocating some weird foreign new deities, whatever he's talking about. If we're going to light our world, here's another thing. We need to anticipate intolerance, just insults, especially from people who, sometimes people who proclaim tolerance the most, can be very intolerant of other people. Let's not be like that, but let's anticipate that some people are going to be like that toward us. And misunderstanding. Sometimes they're not, not going to get it. They're not going to follow it. Here's another principle. If we're going to light our world, we're going to have to grow thicker skin. You know, one thing I could just really encourage all of us, as we interact in our culture, one of the marks of love, Paul says in another place, to Corinthian church says, love is not easily offended. One of the marks of loving people in our families, loving our neighbors, loving our community, is not being easily offended. That means I have to grow a thicker skin. I just can't get set off by every time someone says something negative about my faith or about me. I have to be able to understand that I'm not there as a tourist and just easily offended, I'm there as someone who is a good missionary, who is reaching out to people and trying to be light there. So we grow a thicker skin. We, we can't be offended by everything. And, and we live in many respects in a very touchy culture. We need to not be as touchy about things and learn to be patient and bite our tongue and grow a thicker skin. Keep going, verse 19. So they're insulting him, and they took him, actually kind of just grabbed him, and brought him to the Areopagus, which is Mars Hill. 
Uh, Mars Hill, we'll talk more about it next weekend, but Mars Hill is named after the god of war, and it's a hill or an outcropping, and this is where the philosophers of the day, it's very near the, the, the Parthenon, the big temple um, for Athena, and that's where they discussed things. And they even brought people there, sometimes against their will, to just kind of have an unofficial kind of hearing. I don't know which was the case in this situation, but, but the Apostle Paul gets taken there, and they're going to give him a hearing. They're going to they're hear him out on this, what he is actually teaching about. So here's the principle. If we want to be light in our world, be ready to play away games. Guys, um, if, you can only, if you're a sports team and you can only win on the home turf, you're going to lose half your games. We have to learn this simple fact of life. That we have enjoyed a tremendous Judeo-Christian heritage in the United States. But, sadly, much of that Judeo-Christian heritage has been eroded and we now live in a culture that by and large once perhaps embraced that largely, but now largely does no, lo- no longer embraces that. In other words, Christianity no longer has home field advantage in America. And we have to get used to playing all of our games on the road. Because now as believers in Jesus, we have a very different perspective. Even though there, there's a lot of people who go to church, but, but the influence of the, the, the worldviews that are contrary to Christianity have greatly won the day. And we need to realize that. We're not, we're not joyful over that, but we understand that. And we need to say, we need to, we need to learn to play on the road when the crowd is booing us and they're against us and, and they, don't, they don't want us to win. They want us to lose. Paul was dragged or carried or asked or invited or whatever it happened, but he ended up on Areopagus, and that's not the home field. Jerusalem is the home field. Athens is one of the toughest places to play on the road. And if we really want to light our world, we have to learn to play away games. Now, you hear some of that, and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I get it, but that is, that's tough. How would I ever be able to do that well? And you're thinking to yourself, you know, for me to really learn how to live as light and really share my faith and live for Christ in this kind of community, it's like, you know, I, I would have to learn how to relate to all peoples. I, if I could just hear like a speaker, uh, maybe, that like was like a, a leader of like an all peoples movement, and you could bring him and, and, and just listen to him speak and tell you about how to relate to people from all kinds of backgrounds and how to have winsome conversations. Now, if I could listen to somebody, that, that would be amazing. That would really help me. Or, or like, you know what? A lot of my friends have questions about science and the faith. If you could bring in somebody that was like a, uh, like a person with a science background but who was a really deep follower of Jesus and they had knowledge about biochemistry and genetics and human origins... Like an apologetics expert. That would be amazing. And he, if he could be like from a Muslim background. And he, he came to embrace faith in Christ. And he could talk about embra- and interacting with people of other faiths and backgrounds in a winsome way. If he could bring somebody like that. And I could talk to them or hear them. That would be amazing. Or, or like maybe I would 
you're thinking, I would love to hear somebody just talk about my neighborhood. Like maybe an author that's written a book called Loving Your Actual Neighbor, and I could hear that person speak. Maybe a woman who's, who's really led a national movement on that and could do a great job of coaching me that. You know, that would be amazing. Or maybe like bring somebody who's, who's been living and interacting for decades in the nitty-gritty urban culture, somebody who has served the poor and the impoverished and, and the underserved, and who knows how to link compassion with the good news of Jesus, and has done it in a really tough place, maybe like New Orleans for decades, and who right now is living through the aftermath of a hurricane, and who right now is helping people and blessing them and sharing Jesus if I could hear somebody like that, I could talk to somebody like that, that would be amazing. Or maybe you could bring somebody who has lived an incredible life and who's 91 years old and who has led a movement of love and gospel and who has brought people of different ethnicities and races together, who's written a book called One Blood and talks about how Jesus can bring us all together, who has faced incredible persecution, who is a young man who was beaten and almost killed and spent months in a hospital because he was an African-American who suffered and who had that moment in his life had to choose between hatred and love, and he chose love, the love of Jesus. If I could just hear his story, that would just really light me up, and I would have so much more compassion for the people in my culture. Or maybe if you could just bring somebody here who, who has been through some traumatic experience of their own, who faces difficulties and challenges and maybe even disabilities, but who's built bridges to people and cares for people who are going through hard times who could learn how to use some of the difficulties and pain of my life to bless other people and build bridges. If you could just have somebody maybe talk to that. You know, if, if, if you could top it all off by just like maybe bringing a guy who's like, like a champion, like, a, like an inspirational leader who loves the least of these and like has blessed countless people through, uh, through maybe a thing called Night to Shine, who would fire me up like a Heisman Trophy winner, a quarterback who leads his team to a national championship and who could really inspire me beyond belief. If, if you could just talk to to him and hear him, that would be amazing. If I talked to or could hear one of them, that would be amazing. If you could bring them all together in like just a day and a half or so, that would, that would be really special. <laughs> but no local church is ever going to do that. I mean, that, that would be impossible, right? Maybe not. I want to encourage you. We talked to Tim Tebow's team, and he's coming. He's excited to get here to Des Moines. It's going to be amazing. And uh, so get signed up. This is the time. This is not tomorrow, next week, today. Get signed up for the Good for All Conference. Um, some of you are saying, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not sure. That's a big investment. And um, wow, I'm not going to spend a lot of money for something that lasts just a few hours. Unless, well, maybe, you know, Maybe, you know, something like a big, huge football game. I'm a big fan too, guys. I love sports. You all know that. And I've dropped a few dollars on the Chicago Cubs. Maybe you have for a sporting event or a 
family vacation or whatever, I want to challenge you. Make an investment of a few hours, a Thursday night, all day Friday, and a Saturday morning. And if you're able to do so, get signed up. Here's how to register. Today, you can simply register by texting the word register to that Number, 515-644-1021. It will all be up on the screen at the end of our talk today, but get registered, 515-644-1021. And you'll have all the information you'll need right there. It will be amazing. And I want to encourage you to use the code VALLEY21. Uh, This is a deep, very deep discount that we're offering to Valley folks like you. Uh, Valley 21, and uh, don't, don't delay, you know, that's probably not going to last forever, so for a limited time, but please jump on that Valley 21, text the word register to 515-644-1021. And for some of you, you say, you know, I would, I would love to, to, to be there, but maybe you can't for some reason, or you'd like to invite some other people, or perhaps you, you, you would be willing to, to help somebody who may not be able to afford that. I want to encourage you just, for some of you here today, uh, God's tugging at your heart to provide a scholarship. There are some folks that, you know, they're in a tough financial situation. We have our partners are, uh, who, uh, in, in Des Moines, and, and some of them are like, this is, this is really a stretch for us. Uh, some of our urban partners. Uh, there's some people uh, uh, who are single parents, and they're on a very limited income. Uh, There's people who are college kids, and this would be a huge blessing to them, but a pretty giant expense. There's all sorts of people like that. And if God's tugging at your heart to provide them a scholarship, if you can just text the word SHINE to 515-644-1021, you can provide a scholarship or several scholarships, as many as you want, as many as God, uh, maybe God's blessed you in a big way, and you can go big, and you can scholarship a lot of people. We would love to see as many people as possible here, and for the cost of the conference to not be a barrier to anybody to be able to come. So get registered yourself, or and um, if God's blessed you in, in, in a significant way, uh, and he, he's provided for you, you could do that, please maybe consider a scholarship. We close it out, the last few points. So Paul's been dragged to the Areopagus, this outcropping rock place, high point in Athens. And they said to him, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting. Because what you say sounds strange to us. And we want to know what these things mean. This is a new teaching. And we're unfamiliar with this. There's so many people in our, in our community that the real Christianity, not the cultural Christianity, not the weird, bizarre, or cultural Christianity that's been overtaken by whatever perspective on the left or the right or whatever but real Christianity they, they want to learn about that if you really want to light your world leverage curiosity there's some people that would be really interested in learning about real Christianity get to know them ask them about their lives and about their slant on things and sooner or later, they're going to have some curiosity and start asking you questions. Leverage that. Drop clues and then leverage that. And by the way, Alpha starts Sunday night, uh, both uh, in person and online. If you have anybody in your life or you yourself have some questions about Christianity, come, invite, bring, 
show up. We'd love to have you. It's a great place to discuss questions about people who are kicking the tire or kicking the tires of Christianity and just have questions about faith. It's a safe place. Please come. Verse 21, and lastly, so now all the Athenians and foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. It was a culture that talked about the last 15 minutes. What, what's the latest? They, they, they would have been great on social media. Every, every, every minute tweeting out the latest and the greatest or something they heard. And they wanted to learn about what was going on. If you want to if you want to engage your culture, if you want to make a difference, you want to light your world, seize the moment. Seize the moment when people are longing to learn something new. When people have a yearning in their hearts for something that will give them meaning and fulfillment and direction. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for us. I conclude with this. Seize the moment, not tomorrow, not today. Back to my story at the beginning, the rest of the story. I really, 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 really wanted to light my world. And my professor had said, does anybody really believe that, that what they believe is the truth? And I didn't say anything. And I came to God and said, if you ever give me that opportunity, I'll never, I won't fail you. God has a sense of humor. And about two or three weeks later, I was wandering on campus. And there was the itinerant, wild-eyed, gospel preacher, street preacher, he was shaming a lot of people. He was calling them names and so forth. But if you listen really carefully, you might hear the good news. And um, guys, uh, they were calling him all sorts of names. Here's the scene. For behold, the Lord will come in fire. <laughs> it was a crazy scene. And people said, his name was Max, and people said to this guy, Max, you're a fool. He said, you better believe I'm a fool. I'm a fool for the sake of Christ, 1 Corinthians 4.10. And I wonder today, he said to that crowd of like two or 300 students, if there's even one other fool for Christ here. And I thought, oh Lord, not Max. But I thought to myself, a deal's a deal. So I very timidly raised my hand. And Max, who's an evangelist, he sees that hand. He comes over to me, gets in my face, and he says, are you born again? Yes. Have you a follower of Jesus? Yes. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? I said, yes. He said, then give up. Get up here and give these people your testimony. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't even have a Bible. And he says, you can use mine. And I looked around, I saw hundreds of these hostile college students, and I thought to myself, I can't do this. I'm not the kind of person who gets up in front of people and talks about God. And I got up in front of that group, and my knees were knocking together. I opened up that Bible, and I shared a scripture, and I told my story. I, quoted, I read Philippians, and it says, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. And I went on to talk and share my little short story. Max started walking away. I said, you want your Bible? He said, just leave it there. You're doing fine. I said, where are you going? He said, you're doing fine. 
somehow somebody started raising their hand and I started getting questions from the crowd. I was terrified. I'd never taught a Bible class. I'd never, I'd never done anything like that. And somehow, by the grace of God, God gave me the words. And on that day, as a 20-year-old in Bloomington, Indiana, I fielded questions from a hostile group. It was basically the Areopagus for an hour. Finally, the crowd dispersed. And I said to myself, wow, God, you showed up. And maybe, just maybe, I am the kind of guy who gets up in front of people and talks about God. It all started with a prayer. Lord, use me. I want to light my world. Father in heaven, I pray, oh God, that every single person here who hears this message and watches this would say, I want to light my world and help us to take just one takeaway from today and say, that's, I want to make a difference in this world. Oh God, would you please answer their prayer? And all God's people agreed and said, amen.